I have a freak prepared today. Um, I also need to kind of at least update you as to the journey, because if you're brand new in, you kind of come into this kind of concept of what church and community is and going, do you clap the pastor every week? And the answer is, uh, you should. No, yes. Um, it's, it's not at all, but it's, it's been a privilege uh, to be back. Um, I've actually been away for four Sundays. Uh, the first Sunday one was where I was on holiday. Um, and then we went for as a family, one of those uh, seasons of life where things just went a turn for the worst. And just to help you the context of the story, we have three children, and uh, Josh, who's 23, Beth, who's 20, and um, Nathan, who's 18. Nathan, our youngest, is special needs, uh, so he's emotionally, um, he's, he's ascertained around about two years old. Uh, and so all sorts of significant challenges. You know his story, and we've walked that journey as a church together and supporting that growth on. And he was just about to go into residential care uh, um, for a college that we'd been praying for for months throughout the whole year, uh, and things just didn't get there. So we'd We'd picked up a problem about six months ago where he would just cough. And um, he had this tiny little kind of um, bolus of blood just come out um, in his cough. And he, because of his kind of his uniqueness, he doesn't like a doctor to diagnose him. So he doesn't like people touching him. You know, and he's, he's touch sensitive. So anybody coming close to him with a medical, uh, even just to look in his ears or listen to his heart, you know, uh, or to take his temperature, just won't let anything. And as a result of that, it becomes a little bit high risk from diagnosis as to what that actually is. And so the cough kind of got progressively worse. Uh, and over the bank holiday weekend, we, we got to a point when he was just coughing up significant amount of blood. So we had to take him in. Um, to the, the consultants to, to kind of work through and, and the, to look at them, they had to put them under general anesthetic. And so they, they did that, challenging in itself just to get him under. Um, but the staff were really good. Their understanding of him and his uniqueness, you know, uh, it was just, just great uh, as we managed to do that. But there are times if you've been through medical um, uh, procedures or seasons when the side room kind of pops into the equation, which means there's general waiting rooms and then when the doctor just says, follow me, and walks you a bit further than normal and sits into the side room, and, and we did that. They, there were three consultants sat there with us, and they said, look, what we found is we found a, a formation, a malformation on his lung by which he's, got a, um, he, he's just bleeding on his lung. Um, and we need to sort it. You know? so we, but we're confident we can fix this. You know? and so, but to fix it, we have to leave him under general anesthetic. We were an expert at the time, um, but we don't have the right surgeons in place here so we're going to have to take him down to Plymouth. So he got taken an ambulance down to Plymouth under general anesthetic, and there they did the operation just to fix the bleed, and that, that kind of went as a success. But because of his uniqueness, they said, look, when we wake him up from general anesthetic, we don't know how he's going to be. We don't know because he, he might want to run out the room. He, he's attached to all leads, and so we had a plan to do that. So um, I, I remember on the Saturday we went in um, to say, and they said, we're just, they've done it on the Friday, um, just over three weeks ago. And on the Saturday, they said, we're just going to leave him an extra day just to settle, to get maximum healing, because we don't want his blood pressure to rise and suddenly pop what we've just done. So we want to keep him. And then Sunday, we went in to wake him up. And they sat us down, and they said, look, we're ever so sorry to tell you, he's contracted pneumonia in the process of that. Uh, and so, and they said, just be aware, this will lengthen his recovery from this operation. So we're just going to keep him in another day under sedation. And then Monday, Rachel had a root canal done in the morning. So she went into the dentist, had a root canal done. And we went down and uh, walked into the intensive care unit where it was being held. And then it was the reception rings through and we're taken into another side room. 
And then they sit us down and they said, he's now got sepsis of the lung. And so we've, they said, we've just pumped out. His, his right lung is full of pus. His left lung is half full. He, he, he was running on a quarter lung. And they, they, this is where they said to us, we, his sats are so bad, we're not sure he's going to survive the next few minutes. Because we, we, we said, is this ours? So they said, you need to call the family in because we think we're going to lose him. So we put the call in, and um, we just said to the, the, the doctor, just, um, could you just give us a few moments? Just And so we wept, you know, as a couple. And you do that, you understand that moment when you face. But we, there's something we do. We follow Jesus here, as not just as a church, but as individuals. We, we believe in Jesus. Jesus has been at every point of our life, good and bad. And in this time, it was no different. We, we just knelt. And I can only give you just a piece of advice as a, as a pastor. Whatever happens in life, however bad or dark it gets, just take to the floor and kneel before God. Kneel is an act of submission that says, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm going to do right now, but I do know somebody who does. So we knelt and we prayed. You know, and some of our prayers are full of tears. You know this. And we said to the staff, could we go and pray with him? His oxygen sats were 77, really low. Um, what we need is anything above 95% to, to survive. Anything less than that is, is really serious. And, and so we knew all the stats when we and we walked into the room. And um, I just said, can I lay hands on him? Now, we're a Pentecostal church, and we just, when we pray, we just kind of go, I've got to just say, God, would you, would you bless, would you heal? So I, I remember the words, and I said to said to God, I said, God, my son, Nathan, his name means gift. That's what it is. You've given him to us. Here's the, you, if, if you're receiving him back today, your will be done. But if you're not, would you just heal him right now? And then we sat in the, and we watched. It's a terrible thing when you're watching stats, by the way, because you know what they mean. You know what life stats are and you know what death stats are, you know. From that moment, I want to tell you this, that his sats went from critical to stable. Stable is still serious, by the way. You know, and they said there's nothing we can do. We've put a call into London, who's a specialist, lung hospital. Um, but don't get your hopes up. And there we watched him just move from death's door to just stable enough. He was so ill, they couldn't get him to the CT scanner to see how bad his lungs were. That was just down the corridor. That's how, that's how they just couldn't move him. They'd put him on his front to try and ease that. Well, London Hospital rang, rang. They did all these calculations on Nathan, on his uh, chances of survival, on what they could do. And um, they said, yes, they'd come and collect him. And what they do for London Special Hospital, they put him on a lung bypass, which basically takes the blood supply, uh, not from the lungs, but for the body, and just circulates it from a machine that oxygenates it and basically gives this chance his body for his lungs to recover. And, and they came in, they did that. At half 12, they made that decision on Monday, three weeks ago. And at five o'clock from London, they were there with a full-on team, an ambulance, a, a team of six, one consultant, two doctors, one paramedic, two nurses, you know. And, and they came in, took him into theatre, and they put um, these huge tubes for his femoral arteries, which took his blood on, and just got him stabilised for transportation back to London. We knew it wasn't good. But we, we also know God is able to do incredible things. That's when you 
I'm blown away, really, just by simple facts. When I rang Beth, um, she, she just looked out the window, and there's Catherine playing table tennis outside of our office, you know, at the council offices. God just has got this ability, knowing the future, to position people in the right time. Um, Chelsea, by the way, which is where the London Hostel in Brompton was, is really expensive to just get a overnight accommodation. It costs you £36 just to park your car, uh, and, and, you know, so we don't know, but, but Liz, you know, and Graham, who goes, she, her sister lives in Chelsea. She's married to a vicar right in the middle of Chelsea, 10 minutes walk, and she just got on the phone and said, this is happening. And then her sister said, oh, just come and stay here. Now, now, now Liz's sister, who's okay, has five children and two adopted children. Two of those adopted children have real significant medical needs, and, and, but her heart, to open up in times of need was just whatever you need. And she fed us, and we put the car into the church car park, and we were just 10 minutes walk every day. We could go into intensive care. And they put Nathan in the best room, right? The best room in this kind of semi-private hospital. It had, all, it had this mural of this sea on the wall. Uh, and every day we just looked at that and watched him on the machine, and, and we knew how long. By Friday, they said to us, you know what, we've seen such a significant recovery in him, we're going to take him off the ECMO machine. Every moment we've seen, for the last three weeks, we've seen wow moments of the staff go, this is incredible, this shouldn't be happening. So if I'm going to talk into your faith when you say this shouldn't be happening, God has got an alternative plan for our life. Often we think, oh, this is what we just need to do, this is just bad. But God can walk into our life and change the direction and at each point. And so by Monday, within a week, just off being taken up to London, they said, actually, we can transfer him back to Exeter. We came back to Exeter. And he's on his incubator. Uh, we was hoping, we took him off Saturday, last Saturday, and I was hoping to be in church last week, but Sunday... He just went into respiratory distress. And just to kind of give you the pain of it, if I can, um, we were suddenly and Rachel having to put a mask on his mouth and breathe the oxygen for him because just to put it in while he just looked in the panic in our eyes as we was losing him again. And they put him back on the ventilator and just stabilized him. I struggled that day because the consultant came in, sat with us. We call him Mr. Doom, by the way, uh, only because he just gave me the worst possible scenario that was about to happen in our life. And, and I don't know about you, when God does something in your life, God doesn't give you the worst possible scenario. There's something called hope that we have in Christ Jesus, by the way, which is the anticipation of future good. Have you ever been in a circumstance where what people are telling you and what God is telling you are two different things? You need to listen to that. Because we can look at today, we can hear medical experts, we can do that. But God has got a different plan. We walked back in Monday and they said, oh, he's had a great night. We're going to take him off the ventilator today. I mean, it was just such a shock. And from Monday, this week, he's just come on leaps and bounds. They keep coming in and they kept coming into hospitals and going, this, this is amazing. You know, we can't believe how well he's doing. You know? And Friday, they said, look, medically, there's nothing more we can do for him. We're just happy to release him to home if you're happy to take care of him. And I said, if the physio says good, because he's been on, um, in an induced coma for three weeks, um, if the physio says yes, we'll take him home because we, we would love to have him at home. So the physio walks in. He said, well, I'm just going to take you for a little walk, Nathan. You know, just around the corner, around the bed, I just bit out a bit. And um, the corridor outside his room is 60 meters down the intensive care unit. Nathan walked the whole lot. And then he, he goes, oh, this is unusual. And he's just like, do you want to take a rest, isn't it? And Nathan, in his way, just like, no. He, he said, I want to walk back. He wouldn't get back in his chair. He had to walk all the way back round, isn't it? You know? and, and the physio said, this is extraordinary. 
He said, I have never written in my report extraordinary, but today I'm going to. And so he did the stair test. He, he, he almost runs up the stairs. Nathan actually just kind of is so committed because we said, look, if you can do the stairs, Nathan, we can take you home. And he's up the stairs, you know, and he, he's down, you know. Here's a prayer for him. He still needs time to recover. His, his muscles are wasted. He looks very thin, you know, so pray that he eats well, that he puts his mass on. They said he won't be back um, till normal, till January. That's what the medical staff is. Rachel said it'd give him a month. Nathan is an extraordinary individual. We kind of don't believe. His lungs need time to recover. There's a four-week cycle to pneumonia, uh, and just pray that. But the, the consultant said on Thursday, but he's got young man's lungs. There's nothing more we can do for them. They, they will recover in time. I, I just want to tell you, because we couldn't do this without the intervention of God. Those darkest points, that's three weeks in ten minutes And there's more to that story and there's more I've learned. But I want to tell you, whatever we go through, God is there with you, for you, and can intervene in an incredible way. I was just looking at Noah, little Noah, just walking down here. Noah's a miracle baby, Noah and Hetty. When there was no other way, medically, God came through. We believe in miracles. I sent you an email uh, right at the start of this, that God would do three things through this in the concept of a miracle. Number one, our body has the capacity to heal itself. God designed our bodies to work that way. Number two, that we can rely on the wisdom of medical staff because their knowledge and their intervention is exceptional. But number three, God is an extraordinary miracle-working God. All three things have happened during these three weeks. God, this is how we do faith, by the way. We walk this together. But this is what I want to do. I want to take that and I want to help you understand why we talk about um, the difference that God makes in our life. Because if we can grasp this, we can be who God has created us to be. And, and the message that I've got for you is based out of the book of Matthew. And if you just turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. As a leader, there are many ways I can lead. I can stand in front of you and look perfect. I could put a nice suit on, I could put a tie on, I could comb my hair, you know, I, I could look great, I could put this incredible holy face on, you know, I could give you the appearance that everything in my life is together, everything in my life is perfect. I choose not to do that because I, I have this concept, I've called it the goldfish bowl of leadership, that actually what's more useful is if you see the honesty. If you see the reality, if you see the authenticity, because how do you know that life is messy sometimes? You know, and, and I'm not trying to show people in the concept of what we're about as churches how good I am. What I'm trying to do, what I live for, is to show you how good Jesus is. Because I am only like I am because of what Jesus has done in, my, in our life. There's a concept called method acting. I don't know if you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is a, an incredible proponent of method acting. And, and basically, they're so committed to the acting profession that they try and get into the mind of the person that they're characterizing. What were they going through? And, and, and sometimes if they're still alive, they'll go and sit with that person for weeks on end and they'll watch him and they'll watch their mannerisms and they'll talk to them and so they'll listen to them. If they're not alive, they'll read books on them. You know, they'll go in the places that they inhabited and they try and encapsulate this whole mechanism because they're so committed. Daniel Delivers does this to the point that during the filming of The Gangs of New York, he got pneumonia because the character was playing, um, would, well, he, well, he wouldn't wear an outside coat. He would just 
cope with the cold and he got pneumonia because he was in the cold filming so much that he just wouldn't take a warm coat because the character wouldn't do that. When he was filming for the last of the Mohicans, he wouldn't eat processed made food. He would only eat food that you could catch out in the wild because that was the character he was trying to emulate, he was trying to be. And what I'm trying to say is when we're looking at what we learn from Jesus the true, we're trying to imitate Christ. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's a mechanism that actually it's God in you that makes the difference in life. And so if it looks a bit cracked, if it looks like it's not all the way there, that it's actually quite real because I just want to open my life up to you and just say, look, this is God. I don't have catchy titles for sermons, by the way. It's just not my... my bag or my gear. You know, there's lots of people who I know who really do have clever titles. I've got some great sermon messages. One's called Joshua. He's my son. You want to know what I'm like, you can look at him. I've got another one called Bethan. You want to know if God's real, you look, why? Because they've lived in the context of how we do faith together. I've got one called Nathan. This is how God works. God works, doesn't work in the tidy sermon, in, in the proper structure, in everything clear. He works in everyday life, like me and you. I've got a sermon called Rosie. I've got a sermon called Luke. I've got a sermon called Aaron and Andrea and Mark. What are these sermons about? They're about people who are disciples, they're followers of Jesus. My whole goal is to motivate you not to follow Aaron, not to follow Riverside, but to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is all you ever need. In your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, gives the start of this relationship that Jesus forged with his followers. So one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, thrown a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them. He said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too, and immediately they followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And news about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. Whatever their sickness or disease, if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. And large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. And I just want to break two types of people in here. There were the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and then there was the crowd. There is a difference when it comes to following Jesus because we can be a disciple or we can be part of the crowd. Because the crowd responds, have you heard that guy who's healing people? He's doing incredible things. And we're going to see what is going on. And so people came out to look at what was going on. And then the disciples, they're different. 
I, I often ask the question, going, was it really as simple that, that Jesus just walked up to Simon Peter you know, and Andrew and said, just follow me, and instantly they left everything. I mean, think of your life for a moment. What would your dad think if you're working for your dad? You know, in the family business. And suddenly, this incredible son of God wanders by your life and says, follow me. And you go, oh, are you okay, Dad? I'm, I'll see you in three years. I, there's more to it, by the way. We read the Bible really at a surface level and think, okay, oh, just get up. But there's more to it within the culture. And if I can try and understand, get you to understand the culture of what's going on of the day, what Jesus is actually saying on why they suddenly said, I will follow Jesus. And what Jesus was really all about, what did he mean when he says, follow me? You just translate it into the Greek. I just want to make it really simple. Follow just simply means Jesus said, come to me. That, that, that's all it is. I want you to grab hold of what it is means to follow Jesus. It's not to watch Jesus is not to stand at afar and listen to him going, that's nice while you're eating your cheese and pickle sandwich. But to follow Jesus means to come to him. Not just today, but every day. Not just in the morning, at half past seven when you have your quiet time, but when your boss is yelling in your face, Jesus is still saying, come to me. Intensive care, when your worst day happens, Jesus says, do you know what I found, by the way, just to, I realize this, this is the revelation moment, that when I walked into, into that intensive care to pray for Nathan, that Jesus was already there. That, that's the beauty of it. In my grief, even though it shrouds your thinking, in my pain, in my darkness, the light of the world was already there. I love that about God. David, the psalmist, says, where can I go from your spirit? I go to the ends of the earth. There you are. Isn't that great? Whatever's going to happen in your life, you've got to promise that Jesus is going to be with you. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and the burden I give you is life. I just got this image of just best mate over your shoulder, looks into you going, we're going to do this together. How can we walk the last three weeks and whatever lies ahead because Jesus is doing that? To follow Jesus is to be with Jesus. The concept of withness, follow, in the Greek word is akalithio, which just means on the road together. When Jesus said, follow me, I just want to go on the road with you. just want to walk this journey. Wherever you go, whatever is going on, let's do it together. Let's let him bring him into the daily reality of your life. Our mission statement as a church is finding God and following Jesus. The finding God bit is the crowd section. The bit where hopefully you see and hear some of the story and go, God is amazing. Wow, I want to get to know more. But when we get to that point and Jesus says, follow me, there's a cost to following Jesus. We have to lay our life down to take up this relationship with this incredible living God. There's a phrase we have called nominal Christianity, by the way. 
um, which basically kind of talks about the crowd. Christian in name alone. That's what nominalism means. It means name alone. It means that followers who don't follow. It means that sinners who masquerade as saints. It means that students who don't learn. It means undisciplined disciples. It means believers who don't believe. Churchgoers who don't commit to the context of community. It talks about spectators and not practitioners. And if we look about it, there's a danger in running a service that we just settle into the easiness of a crowd without actually going, I actually am here because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm here to learn about Jesus. I'm here to be with Jesus. Francis Chan, in all his writings of his journey of discovering God, has said, I'm finding more of a revelation when I meet with other believers than when I just meet on my own. Shouldn't be a surprise because the Bible says when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. There's a dynamic when we pray. When we we sit together, we are inviting the Son of God to be right there by the power of His Holy Spirit in that moment. I I think that's incredible. I I found that we've actually made in in Britain a, a private faith. Which means I believe in God, but I'm not going to tell anyone about Him or share that. It's just when things like that happen, I'm just going to keep it there. I've had three chaplains come to see me in hospital and um, to make sure I'm okay, which is great, isn't it? And until um, the third one came and I realized there's a pattern by the, these three chaplains, I won't mention them by name because uh, it's not fair to them. Not one of them prayed with us. I'm not judging, because sometimes it's business, but largely there was time to pray. And then I realized the families and friends came in, and and like Nathan, intensive care. Intensive care means you have one-to-one care. And anybody who came in, and if they've come to pray, I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray out loud, because we're not embarrassed of our faith. This is really important to us. And so we've had 24-7 observation of our faith. Goldfish Bowl leadership. Whose agenda is it to put your faith in the private zone? The devil's. There's nothing wrong having a sincere, deep, devout level of faith in God at all. Except there's something that the kingdom of God, like yeast, doesn't it? You find it comes bounding out of you. And the conversations we've had with nurses from all over the world, by the way, about the love of Jesus. So when we, I don't have anyone to stay, and I say to um, the nurse, they said, oh, you're going to have to find accommodation. I said, look, it's actually already sorted. And she said, how is that? I said, well, we're pastors of a church. There's a lady in our church who's got a sister in this area, and they're happy to put her up. And it's like, wow. God's got his people everywhere, have you noticed? God's got his followers everywhere. Not a church, not a service. We're running. It's not a crowd concept. We're, we're followers. And I was just saying, actually, the church happens locally in all places all around the world, but it has this global connection that we, we meet together because we follow Jesus. Going to church, by the way, doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. And I want to, because if you're brand new into this, right, I want you to understand 
This dynamic, incredible relationship with Jesus is something that you can have. And you can walk out of this place and the presence of Jesus will not leave you. It will walk with you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will go through you into the darkest of days, into your best of the days. We're going to run this together. Following Jesus is about companionship. Breaking bread together. That's what we have in Jesus. It's revealed through his people. The love that you have for me is quite normal and natural because that's how God has designed us. To live in the context of community. There were three pastors who were having lunch over dinner. And the first one said, you know what? Since the summer started, I've been having trouble with bats in the loft of the attic at church. I've tried everything. Noise, spray, cats. Nothing seems to scare them away. The second pastor said, well, me too. I've got hundreds of those things living in the belfry in the uh, Narthex attic. I had the whole place fumigated, but they still won't go away. The third pastor said, I had that problem a while ago, so I baptized them and made them members of the church. I haven't seen one back since. <laughs> who, who remembers the day of membership? Church council meetings. AGM. You know, somebody getting up every year and asking the question, what's sundries on the financial report? This, this is not church. That's the crowd. We are a community of followers of Jesus, by the way. And here's, here's the deal. It gets harder when you're in relationship because what happens in relationship, accountability comes. Connection comes. You have people who will not let you go. You have people who will fight for you in prayer. There, there are thousands of people all around the world playing, praying for Nathan. And, and I'm humbled and I go, why? Because this is the church of the living God. This is who we are. This is church. We just happen to do it in a building. If you go, you know, I mean, the team in Africa, um, in Kenya, highly likely they'll be sat under a tree today. That's how you plant churches in Africa. You get a guitar, you sit under a tree, and people just come and listen, and you tell them the same message I'm telling you. God, God is growing things. But Jesus taught the disciples in, in really unique, different ways. They were in a rabbi culture, rabbinical culture. Different, by the way, because, and if I can try and get you to understand this, this will help us disciple one another, because my goal is not for you to just be a follower of Jesus, but to help others become followers of Jesus. Because that's the whole principle of what we're trying to build over the next few weeks. You know, we learn differently. You know, and we all kind of, some people learn because of what's said. Some people learn because of what's visual. You know, we put images up behind us to help you learn. You know, some of us learn is what's called kinesthetic learning, which is like movement, you know, and, and living out. And as you're looking at what I'm saying about my life, you're learning because you're observing that. And, and we all do different. And, and I just want to know that Jesus taught, when he said, follow me, it was something a lot deeper than just pack up your bags and come over here. There's a rabbinical phrase that says there's four types of people that sit before the presence of the rabbi. The rabbis were the spiritual teachers of the day. The sponge, the funnel, the strainer, and the sieve. So you're either a sponge, a funnel, a strainer, or a sieve, okay? I'm not going to ask you what you think you are. I'm just going to get you to think about what you think you are, okay? So here's the sponge. Soak up everything. Everything I say, you're like, I'm just going to take that all in, okay? You like this one. The funnel. Goes in this way, goes out the other. Have you ever sat in a sermon when that's happened? Come on. We all know there's parts of it. We don't like to admit that. It's just going, shoo. 
The strainer, all right, lets out the wine, retains the dregs. Isn't it? The only thing you remembered about the pastor's sermon that day was that his fly was down. Just checking. <laughs> we call it having the pastor for lunch, don't we? Actually, do you know what? It doesn't say much about the pastor or the church. It says a lot about ourselves. And then finally, we can be the sieve which removes the chaff and remains the fine flour, keeps the flour. It's chicken and bones, isn't it? That's how we use in that, you know? Leave the bones, take the chicken, you know, and the whole concept of that. But this is actually the truth. This is how we all learn. From an onset, uh, uh, Jewish children, by the way, they were taken to school, right? The school wasn't as we know it now. The synagogue was the school. It was the place of community. It was the place of education. Education in this country, education all around the world. I don't know if you worked out as come from God. Christian men and women, education in Britain is seen as the standard of the world. It came because the people of God realized that children needed formal education. Christian pioneers. I find it sad that we've got that foundation and then we have an education system that would take the God out bit because education is good and I agree with that, but we take God out. The same with charity. You take God out of charity, you lose its purpose. You take God out of education, you lose its purpose. It's amazing what we have built. It's called Bet Safer for Children. Arrived from the school age when they were young, they were sent there. They had to memorize the house of the book. They had to remember the first five books of the Bible off by heart. Who can do that? Anybody here? We've got a different education, isn't it? We just come as part of the crowd, don't we, in church? But Jewish children had to know everything. When they got to the age of 10, uh, they, 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 they possessed the, the Bet Talmud, the house of learning, by which they had to remember the whole of the Old Testament to Malachi. Anybody can remember the Old, Old Testament book word by word? And there's a cutoff point at 15, by the way. And uh, so they went one or two ways. Um, the best of the best were offered the opportunity to have a lifelong committed relationship with a rabbi. If they weren't the best of the best, they were sent back home to be with their father. The phrase that that rabbi says was, Lecha Karai, come follow me. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 was saying to his disciples, Lecha Karai. It says in the book of Acts, these were untrained, uneducated, unlearned men. They hadn't qualified to the rabbi academy. They hadn't got into university. But somehow Jesus saw something in them and said, actually, I want to grow you in the things of God. Right? Let me tell you, Jesus didn't go to Rabbi University either. Right? At the age of 12, when they lost him and Jesus went AWOL, he was in the temple. It says about Jesus, they said, where does he get all his wisdom from? Right? So we can presume that he went to Bet Talmud. Because he had all that knowledge of that age, he is teaching the, scri- the scribes and the Pharisees of that day. And they're like, Wow! Later on in his ministry, they say, how can he know such knowledge about God and he's unlearned, he's untrained? There's a gap in his education. There isn't actually, but in man's education there is. But something was going on. Let me tell you what was going on for Jesus. 15, he went to work with his father. He became a carpenter's son. His dad was a carpenter. And I want you to understand this because where we go over the next few weeks is to understand this principle. 
that his dad became the teacher. A father in Jewish culture had two responsibilities, to teach his son faith and to teach his son a trade. And so his mum and dad educated Jesus that they taught him how to pray in Jewish culture. They would teach him how to read the word of God and they would teach him to go to the synagogue. The three bases of discipleship is that we should be teaching you how to pray, how to read your word, and how to observe us together as a community and living for God. He was taught that. And here's the difference in father-son teaching within Jewish culture. He was taught it not by a didactic model, which means I stand at the front and I tell you what to do. He was taught it by a dad who did it. So this is not a learning by hearing. This is a learning by observation in life. Have you noticed that all the people that have impacted you in life are the people that you've watched, the goldfish bowl? Think of the teachers in school who really transformed you. They were the ones who you watch and go, I want to listen to you. Who had a teacher you didn't get on with? I think that's most of us, isn't it, you know? I got smacked on my first day of school. I was throwing stones, so it was probably justified, but you know, and how things have changed, isn't it? I still, do you know, I remember her name, Mrs. Skeen. She didn't look great. She looked like she was about to die, but you know, it's just like, <laughs> we've all had those teachers. And then we have other teachers who take time with us. There's other teachers we watch and we see their life and we hear their tone and their inflection and their passion and their inspiration. And as, as a children, as a young person, we're looking and we're going, I want to be like that. You know, I think Jesus' first model in his discipleship was his father. The trade would be, help me serve, watch this. And as I do this, you watch, you watch, you learn, you observe, you serve, you pick up. There's a story about a famous potter in Japan who's world famous. And it, whatever he made went for thousands and thousands of pounds all around the world. And, and, I, and a potter in England wanted to learn that skill set. So I went from university to train for six months with that. And when she arrived, this experienced master potter sent her out into the fields to dig the clay, to dig the soil. For six months, they just served God to help around the house, clean up where all the, the pots were made and, and everything like that. She got to the end of six months and thought, I've wasted six months of my life. I came here to be learned how to throw clay and how to carve things like that. And went home disappointed and went back into her pottery and, and started to make things and realized something. In observing this master, just by looking and by serving, she had caught his passion for detail. She had caught his skill set and she fused her, her, in a sense, novice experience and she fused his passion and his detail and she made something beautiful and she became a master potter for six works of grafting. I think Jesus learned his disciples said, actually, come and walk with me. You read the New Testament as Jesus as a rabbi who doesn't want to say things to you and you go and do them. He says, come with me. So the boys who got to Rabbi Academy would move in with the rabbi and they would watch him. When he would visit the poor, they would go and visit the poor. When he traveled, they would travel with together. When he taught, they would listen 
and they would be part of the conversation. They wouldn't just stand at the front. They would be, how's this work for you? They would chatter and chatter and debate and have this animated learning. And they would live together as a lifelong committed relationship because the rabbi's goal was simply this. Someone who would carry on his teachings after he was gone. Jesus taught in the same way. He didn't take us to university. He asked us to be an apprentice. He asked us to be a follower. He asked us to spend time with him. He asked us to watch him. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. Now he's talking spiritually there. But I would guess he's imagined his natural father, you know, Joseph who brought him up. And I think he understood the point. God, what are you doing? What are you showing? In the intensive care unit, what are you doing? What are you showing? Who are you speaking to? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn? There's a time that what the crowd does, it gets so focused by grief and darkness and the circumstances, it can't see the light. But the follower knows how to identify the light. Three shepherds in Israel met together. Just they was going out, all had their flock of sheep. And as they met under the tree to converse, all of the sheep just merged into one big. The observer was wondering how those three shepherds would ever have the ability to separate all of those sheep that were now merged into one until the three shepherds said farewell, walked their own way, called their shepherds, and each sheep followed their shepherd. Why? Because my sheep know my voice. Suffering is a test for us as followers of Jesus. And the test is simply this, do you know his voice? If you do, you'll see him in the darkness. You'll see his light shining. If you don't, it's probably because you haven't spent time listening to him. To be a method actor, you need to study the person. To be a follower of Jesus, you just need to simply study Jesus. Here's your challenge. Jesus is written about a lot in four particular books of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one. Whichever one. They're like four CCTV camera angles of Jesus' life. Say to yourself, if I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I'm going to read that word. And I'm going to think about what are you trying to teach me. When he's talking to others, he's talking to you. When he heals somebody, what is he showing you? He's your rabbi. He's your teacher. Don't just read it flat. Sit next to him. When he picks seeds up off the ground and says the kingdom of heaven is like seeds. Go and find some seeds. Put them in your hand and go, what are you saying, Jesus? When he says it's like yeast, when, whatever he does, look at what he does and say, I am going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not going to be a crowd. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Talk to him. When Jesus said, I will send you a comforter, I will send you another one like me, the Holy Spirit, you will not be abandoned orphans. The Spirit of Jesus 
right there in your room when you talk to him. That's how I communicate to God, to Jesus, by his spirit. You can ask him questions. But I also found that there were other followers of Jesus that I can go to too. What does Jesus look like? What would Jesus do in this situation? Do you remember those, what would Jesus do bands? Do you ever remember them? We used to, I used to do youth ministry. I used to joke about we should get pants for guys. What would Jesus do? So if they've ever got into an unfortunate position, they could just look down and go, no, probably not this. <laughs> Genuinely, I think it's a fair question. Jesus, what would you do? It's easy to answer if you know Jesus. It's easy to slip if you don't. Thank you for listening. I'm going to pray with you. I'm just going to do, just, go, just close your eyes. Just get a moment of reflection. Overall, really, I just wanted to pass a little bit. I just want you to follow Jesus, perhaps a little bit more. But it's not to make you feel bad, but just to be able to say, actually, I want to go and, and follow Jesus wherever you're leading me, whatever you're asking me to do. I want to grow as a follower. All you need to do is just have this yes inside. A disciple comes from the word discipline. Don't just say it today, do it tomorrow. Do it the day after that. Read one of the Gospels. Pray to him. Meet other followers of Jesus. There's loads of followers here in this room, I know that. But I'm going to ask one question perhaps to those who might have come in today who are not yet a follower of Jesus. But what I've said has somehow spoken to your soul and you think, I do want to follow Jesus, but I just feel so knocked, so new. I think I understand it. I'm, I want to pray for you. And if you just want to take that brave step of saying, would you pray for me that I get to know Jesus in the way that you've talked about? All I'm going to do, while everybody else's eyes closed, head bowed, I, I just put your hand up just, just so that I know. And I'm just going to pray for you right now to help you understand God that a little bit more. Anybody want to just say that? Great. Thank you. Great, thank you. Great, thank you. Anybody else before I pray? Okay, just quietly, those three people who just put their hands up, just put your hands up before God, keep your eyes closed, and my words are just for you. Heavenly Father, fill them with your spirit of life right now. That they may then know the truth, that you love them. That you will lead them through. That you will always be with them. Help them in their shortcomings and their failures. Forgive them in the name of Jesus. Let them rise up today with a new strength. Not just to be a church goer, but a follower of Jesus. Let this be the life-changing relationship that they're looking for. In Jesus' name.